Thank you, Nancy, for Sunday after Sunday faithfully playing the piano for us. Well, good morning. I'm happy New Year to each and all of you. I trust you've all enjoyed the celebrations with family and friends. And if I'm not mistaken, some of you have probably even come up with some New Year's resolutions. And I hope that one of those resolutions is to read your Bibles more each day so that you might grow in the grace and the knowledge of our blessed Savior. We need to remember each morning as our feet hit the ground that the only things that will count in eternity is how faithfully we have served our Savior. All our efforts to accumulate material substance will be of no value once we meet him face to face. So hopefully our desire for the new year will be, Lord, what will thou have me to do? This morning, we once again resume our series on the book of Exodus, and we will be tackling chapter 14, using it as our main text. And thank you once again, Luke, for reading the entire chapter for us. So if you still have your Bible, Sandy, would you all please turn with me to Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 to 31. But before we begin, we will turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank thee so much for this book called the Holy Bible. We thank thee that it was divinely inspired in the beginning and that thou hast divinely preserved it so that we can trust every word of it as being the final word of God. And as we open the text this morning, Lord Jesus, we pray that thou would reveal thyself to us in a very wonderful way and reveal to us what thy will is for each one of us here this morning. For we ask it in thy name and for thy glory. Amen. In our last message on the book of Exodus, we looked at the 13th chapter and we saw how the Lord had set aside all the firstborn males of Israel, both man and beast, for himself. Also, he gave Israel through Moses a much more detailed picture on how they were to celebrate the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which would last for seven days starting with the first day of unleavened bread as a holy Sabbath, in which no work was to be done, and ending with the seventh day of unleavened bread, which also was a holy Sabbath. The Lord also instructed Israel that they were to sacrifice all of the clean firstborn of the beasts, and if they wanted to redeem any firstborn of the unclean beasts, then they were to redeem them with a clean animal, such as a lamb. If not, then they were to break the neck of the unclean firstborn animal. But all firstborn sons were to be redeemed. And all of these things, the fathers were to diligently teach their children so that the deliverance out of Egypt would always be fresh on their minds. Also in that chapter, we learn that Moses had carried the bones of Joseph out of Egypt uh, when they left. 
and for that matter, any others that had been still buried in Egypt as pertaining to the sons of Jacob. The chapter ended with Israel encamped at Ethan in the edge of the wilderness. Now, when we talk about the wilderness here, it's another word for desert. And that's what it indeed was. It was a desert. So you can imagine their predicament later on. They encamped in Ethan at the edge of the wilderness, protected by a pillar of fire during the night and a pillar of a cloud during the day. Now we come to chapter 14 and we read in the opening few verses, verses 1 to 12, first, God's instructions to Moses concerning their encampments. They were to turn and encamp before Pihahirath, between Migdol and the sea, over against Baal Zephon. Now it's quite difficult to locate the exact whereabouts of these places, since many of these names have been changed, but suffice it to say that according to scripture, the Lord led them there almost in an entrapped position. For we read that the Lord led them there to entice Pharaoh to come after them. When Pharaoh hears of their position, he becomes emboldened and he pursues after them, believing them to be completely trapped. Don't forget, Pharaoh knew very well the lay of the land of Egypt and thus was certain that he would be able to recapture them once again. So for our intents and purposes, we would place Israel approximately halfway along what is known as the Suez Canal today. Israel would later cross the Red Sea at approximately the halfway point of the Suez Canal and enter the land of Midian, which is today North Saudi Arabia. Secondly, we read about God's plan in destroying Pharaoh and his entire army in verses 3 to 4. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness had shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Now, you remember a while back, earlier on in Exodus, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I know not the Lord, and I will not obey him. Well, he's learning the hard way. Now, please remember that the last plague was the death of the firstborn. All the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast, were taken by death except one, Pharaoh. He was the firstborn, for he was the reigning king. God never leaves his work unfinished. He has saved the best for the last. Now that Pharaoh and his servants have had some time to rethink their decision, to let all of Israel go, they become once again consumed 
by pride and anger over the entire situation. Verses 5 to 6. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and all of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. It greatly bothered Pharaoh and his servants that Israel was let go, that they now had their liberty, and that Egypt would no longer benefit from their free labor or have the pleasure of chastising them. Rage soon overtook Pharaoh, and so he quickly raised a huge army determined to be revenged on them. He would either bring them back into bondage again, or he would exterminate them all in the wilderness where he perceived them to be helplessly trapped. There would be only chariots and horsemen, no foot soldiers. Speed was of the essence. Verses 7 to 9. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them in camping by the sea beside Pihiroth before Baal Zephon. Please notice two very important things here. <clears throat> First, Pharaoh was so consumed with rage and hatred for the children of Israel <clears throat> that he completely forgot about the sorrowful funerals of his firstborn son and all of the firstborn of Egypt. Because of his intense anger and desire to make Israel pay, his fears or fear of God had also disappeared and as a result had brought him to the precipice of his own destruction. Secondly, Pharaoh is not unique. We are all capable of such evil and atrocities. We are all a fallen race. There is none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.10 reminds us. There is none, not one that doeth good, no, not one, Romans 3.12. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. It is so easy to read such accounts in the scriptures and be complacent, unable to identify with either the character or the circumstances. But dearly beloved, how we must be careful to never fall into that trap of thinking, oh, I would never do such a thing. I would never behave in such a debauched manner. Though we be redeemed, yet we still struggle with the old man, the old sin nature that regularly pops up his ugly head 
at the most inopportune times, just to remind us that he is still there. At least 27 times we are commanded in the scriptures to fear God. For without the fear of God, the old sin nature takes control of the soul and loses its path in life. <clears throat> Proverbs 14, 26 to 27 tells us, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of, uh, the, fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Pardon me. Losing my voice. I think I need stronger drink. Pharaoh, unfortunately, had allowed himself to reach the point of no return and would soon pay with his life. In the next three verses, verses 10 to 12, we see the reaction of the children of Israel. Pharaoh and his army had overtaken the children of Israel, and it seemed that they had them trapped. There was nowhere for them to go. Behind them was the Egyptian army. In front of them was the Red Sea. There was no place to run, so to speak. And in their moment of desperation, the children of Israel, upon seeing the large horde of chariots behind them, did what anyone would do in their situation. They panicked. And became, as the scriptures say, sore afraid. They immediately, in verse 11, cried out to Moses and said, Because there were no graves in Egypt, thou hast taken us away to die in the wilderness. Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt? saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Did we not tell you, Moses, back in Egypt, that this was not a good idea, that we would have been better off in Egypt as slaves than to die out here in the desert? You see, dear friends, how the human spirit is quick to deflect blame upon someone else when things do not go according to plan. Please notice that in this large mass of humanity, there were some who immediately cried out to the Lord in verse 10. They immediately started to pray for help. Exactly what we all ought to do when we find ourselves in such a bind. But there were also others who immediately murmured and blamed Moses for their predicament, completely forgetting the divine presence with them who hovered in front of them in the form of the pillar of cloud leading and guiding. And though they had pi ha hiroth, which was a range of, of craggy rocks or mountains, impassable on the one hand, and Migdol and Baal Zephon on the other hand, 
which also were impassable, and then the Red Sea before them, they nonetheless had no reason to be so afraid, especially after they had witnessed firsthand what the Lord had done in Egypt. In every single case during the ten plagues, the children of Israel were miraculously shielded and protected. Would this seemingly helpless situation be any different? Thus Moses responds to the fearful in verse 13. Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Notice that Moses, instead of chiding them for their foolishness, he comforts them instead, and with a confident spirit tells them, Fear not, don't blow a gasket. Stay calm, chill. You have nothing to fear. Just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Watch God fight for you. Then what unravels within the next 13 verses is a most amazing scene, one which is permanently etched in the minds and hearts of all who have either witnessed it directly or have seen it with the eyes of faith through the Bible account. God instructs Moses to lift his rod and stretch his hand over the sea in front of them and to divide the water so that the children of Israel can pass over dry land. Though God is never obligated to explain his plan to his servants, he does in this case offer that mercy to Moses. He tells Moses that he will harden the Pharaoh's heart and the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will follow the children of Israel in pursuit after them. And then he, God, will give his honor upon Pharaoh and his army, meaning, of course, that he will completely destroy them all. Verse 19, And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that one came not near the other all the night. And as the Egyptian army closed in, <clears throat> On the fleeing children of Israel, the cloud removed itself from the front of the people and set itself behind them, protecting them from the Egyptians. Since now a path has been provided for the children of Israel through the sea, there was no longer need of the divine guidance in front of them. Instead, the Lord positioned himself as a defense bulwark behind the camp. Now we are told that the crossing was at night in verse 20. And so the cloud gave light by night to the camp of Israel, but darkness 
to the Egyptians. Now as morning came and the camp of Israel had safely reached the shore, God through the pillar of fire at the looked through the pillar of fire at the Egyptian army and then troubled them, causing the wheels of their chariots to fall off since they had driven them so heavily. It was at this point that the Egyptians cried out in verse 25, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. Sometimes sinners find themselves too deep in troubled waters to make their way back to safety. Sometimes sinners come back to their senses far too late to be rescued, and such was the case here. For as soon as the last Israelites set foot on shore, Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. Verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. Not only was Israel completely delivered that day, but they were also witnesses to the complete destruction of their slave masters and their oppressors. Dead Egyptian bodies floated to the shores. Carcasses of both men and beast lay there as evidence that God could not only deliver them from their enemies, but that he could also defeat their enemies. And as Israel looked upon the great destruction of their enemies and saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And so we come to the end of our sermon for this morning. But before I conclude, let me say this. All of us here this morning have witnessed in some fashion or other God's wondrous miracles in our lives. Whether they be the common mercies such as a loving spouse and a beautiful family, a great job, good health, or a faithful place to worship. But for some who have experienced great tragedies, serious illnesses, or fiery trials, God has greatly multiplied his marvelous grace in such times. Whether it was deliverance through or from them, divine healing and restoration, or simply his peace to endure them. And if we take time to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, then we too, like all the great saints of old, will believe and have confidence in the God of miracles, in the God of all impossibilities. And most of all, 
we will come to realize just how much he truly loves each and every one of us and wants only what's best for us. And so I ask you all, are you a genuine child of God this morning? Are you truly his? And if you are, do you faithfully serve him daily? Do you spend time with him in prayer? Do you study his word daily? If not, why not? Let's all resolve this new year to know him better, to know him not only as our Savior, but also as our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee so much for this precious account of Moses leading the people of Israel across the Red Sea. It also reminds us that no matter how dire our situation is, there is nothing too difficult or impossible for the Lord of heaven to accomplish in our lives and to set us free. Part us now with thy blessings, we pray, and if the Lord be not come, may it please thee once again to reunite us around his table next Lord's Day. For we always ask it in his name and for his glory. Amen.